what's going to be a, a focus of the message today is going to be uh, really uh, the driving force behind the vision of our church is this. I mean, that God is so big and so worthy, and, and he is amazing. Um, and so I hope that, that that song will resonate in your heart, and that as you sit here today, as you listen, that, that you won't be moved by my... Well, I'm not creative enough to come up with a bunch of alliteration and things like that. I tried today a little bit, but uh, you'll see how that works out. But that you'll be moved by the fact that God is at work in the world and that he is uh, powerful and that he has purpose. Um, And I hope that you'll see that begin to play out in your life uh, and continue to play out in your life. Part of that and part of what we're doing is trying to understand God's word and trying to, I mean, we come here with this desire to hear God's word proclaimed with this, a desire to learn and to, to be moved and changed by his word, but that shouldn't just happen for 45 minutes on Sunday. One of the best things that we got going on right now is that there is a group of guys that are meeting together on Wednesday nights, um, and I can just tell you from personal testimony, I've never memorized this length of scripture all in one time. I've got a bunch of different memorized verses that float around in my head, but I've never been a part of a group of people that has deliberately set out to memorize this much scripture all at one time. And personally, I can tell you that it is making a world of difference in my life. I have a strength and a peace that I only imagined was possible. Um, Temptation is much different today than it was before we did this. And I'm telling you this as a person who studies Scripture regularly, constantly. But memorizing it and having it floating around in my head and working it and speaking it out loud and, and coming to this place. And so today, before I jump into this message, I just want you to see somebody do it and begin to share with you what it is to memorize scripture. I wanted to share that testimony, but Matt, why don't you come up here? Matt is kind of our poster child for memorization. He's, he's the one that goes first whenever we recite to one another because he does so well, and so I thought it only fitting that as he gets up here and shares with you Philippians chapter 1, that he be the first to go. Um, as the rest of us take turns, we'll, we'll go through Philippians 2 and 3 and 4, but we'll probably stumble a lot more than Matt does. But the thing is, it's there, and it is making a difference in our lives, and we're thankful for it. So you might get a mic so they can hear you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless at the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I was put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Yeah, baby. Now, I've shared a little bit of testimony. Would you say, what would you say that's doing in your life? (laughs) I didn't tell him I was going to ask this, so this is hitting him cold, but... Um. I am constantly thinking about scripture. I'm constantly thinking about what I'm memorizing. So at all times, I'm thinking about God, about what he's doing. And, and, sometimes, and you get a better feel for the scripture because you get to read it and you see it all the time. So you hear the different inflections that Paul makes and you hear the different things he feels. You really feel Paul's heart for the people and you feel God yeah. in a completely different way when you have the scripture just there. Yeah. How often, how often do these verses come to mind? All the time. <laughs> I mean, when, when, when you're talking to people. Yeah, if somebody has a problem uh, or they're telling me about something that's going on in their life, I'm like, oh, hey, there's this really cool verse in Philippians, and then I can just say it. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to like, try to draw it out of memory. It's just there. Or uh, if somebody's wanting some encouragement, it's just there. Yeah. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to really reach for it. It's, it's on your heart. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I love you. <clears throat> and the reality is is that we would have said we couldn't have imagined memorizing this much scripture um, in fact I would say that by ourselves we probably wouldn't be able to I, I really think that God's doing something in that group um, and I would encourage you Wednesday nights I mean right now it's Wednesday night guys getting together we're not reading commentary. We're not studying deeply. We are memorizing the scripture, and it is changing us. And so I would encourage you to consider that. I am all about starting groups to do this. If something inspires you, as, as next in a few weeks, we'll bring somebody up, and we'll have them recite Philippians chapter 2. In a few weeks more, we'll bring somebody up and recite Philippians chapter 3. 
let us know. I will, I will give up another night, whatever it takes to make sure that we have a group of people that will get together and work together to learn the scripture. It will change you. It will make a difference. It is fruitful and valuable. It is fruitful and valuable because it's God's word to us. Um, and as, you know, in a big way, it's why we work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, as, as part of the vision of this church, it's always been that we would, we would really found ourselves and build ourselves out of what the Scripture teaches. And that's really why we started through Acts. It was in Acts, as I, as I studied through Acts and read through Acts and, um, and was doing just my own personal work in Acts, that God really began to speak and build in me a vision for a church. And not a church that's built on the traditions or the successes that men appraise and acclaim, but that comes from God's work. And really, as we've come to this point in the book, we are, we are coming to a place in the book of Acts that really begins to see the results of God's work. Before we jump into that passage today, I think it's imperative that we stop and we consider really what's happened. The, the emphasis as we began in the book of Acts is the way it began. In the first two chapters of, of the book of Acts, you see God's work unfolding in a, in a slightly different light. Luke had written a gospel message that presented to people what Jesus did while he was on the face of the earth. Luke had written this beautiful gospel message that revealed the glory and power of Jesus, that revealed what, what he had come to do, that revealed his crucifixion and his resurrection. And, and, and so in a, in a big way, we had seen Jesus exalted. But as he wrote the book of Acts, his intent was to show that even though Jesus had risen into heaven, that the work continued. And that the work was the same work that had been working when Jesus was here. It's just a continuation of it. And so before we read today, these verses that begin to really display the result of God's work, I think we have to take time to consider what we've really been considering for two weeks. I've not made it a point every week to say this is the way it began and brought out the, and emphasized this series or this idea as this is the way it began. But really, every, every sermon, every message has, has had that in it. Every, every time we've gathered and talked about different things as we've gone through these first two chapters of the book of Acts have been focused on God's work beginning his church or, or continuing his work in the world and, and us being able to see it revealed as the church. And so today, that's really no different, but I want us to have it in our minds and fresh in our heads about how it has all worked. And so we are focusing, again, on the way it began. In Acts chapter 1, we see clearly it was God's mission. In verse 7 and 8 of Acts chapter 1, it says this. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the, the disciples had gotten together and they were asking about, they were asking Jesus as they were standing on this mountaintop, they were asking him, okay, is this when it's going to happen? Is this when you're really going to just take over and kick Rome out and let Israel be the nation that, that we've always expected it to be? 
And Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? Your, your focus is wrong. You're, you're, you're thinking about the wrong thing. That's not even for you to worry about. I, I had this conversation just the other day, and, and I have this conversation with people a lot. We live in a culture that wants to, we're, we're in the end times and it's coming soon and look at all these signs and they try, to, they try to pick up their newspaper clippings and they try to put them in the Bible and they say, look, this is what it says and this is what this says and so it must be happening and Jesus is coming back. Absolutely, he's coming back. The Bible teaches clearly he's coming back. And, and I'm glad that we live with a sense of urgency. But it's not for you to worry about times and dates. Forget it. He says, it's yours to be my witnesses. To live in such a way that people see me. That they, they, they see me revealed in you and my people. See, it's God's mission. It's not ours. It's not like we can come up with this 12-step program to bring people to heaven. It's not our mission. We're not the ones that came up with it. It's not, it, it's not our idea. It's his. And we have a certain part to play in it. Do we need to let people know Jesus is coming back? Absolutely. Do we need to not let them know that God is powerful and amazing? Absolutely. But that's how we witness. We don't worry about the peripheral stuff. That's God's job. We live in the, in, in the mission as he has given it to us. It's God's mission. And so we see it begin as God's mission. And then in Acts 2, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, the disciples have, have gathered and they've waited for this power that, that Jesus has promised them. They want to be his witnesses. They want to live in this, in this purpose and in this mission that he's given them, but they're waiting and they are together, and they are sticking close, and they are praying together, and they are seeking God's face. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, we see that it's God's power. In Acts chapter 2, it says, and suddenly, this is verse 2 through 4, suddenly, without any warning, without, without any indication that it was going to happen, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were speaking in languages, distinguishable languages that everyone around that, that heard this noise that came and gathered and watched, they were speaking in, in these languages that these people could understand, that these people that were from nations all around that could hear and understand, and they heard God being proclaimed in all his mighty works. They didn't go to school and learn this. They, they didn't prepare for this. In, in a sense that, oh, well, if we can get the right people with the right credentials, if, if, if we can figure out the right programs and the right methods, if, if we can set up just the right band and just the right preacher that has the right charisma, charisma and, the, and, and get all of this stuff put together, then then, then we'll be ready for this. Absolutely not. It wasn't men's power. It wasn't any Thing to do with them except that they were God's people chosen to go on God's mission. And when God was ready, 
And He unleashed His power. And He let it flow through them. And used them in an amazing way. It was God's mission. And God's mission can only be accomplished with God's power. See, any of us can come and set up chairs, and and maybe not any of us can pick up a guitar and strum it, but anyone can get up and sing songs. And, And anyone can find a way to go and build a building And anyone can go to a seminary college and stand up and and give a seminary lesson. But the only thing that brings real eternal change, that completes God's mission, is God's power. And the way it began, the way God's mission continued, and the way it began to be unveiled in the book of Acts was by God's power in these people. See, and when they began to proclaim, when they began to teach, when Peter stood in the midst of these 120 people that were empowered by God to do amazing things, he didn't stand up with Jewish tradition. He didn't stand up with this wishy-washy, higher power, feel-good message. He proclaimed the message of God. See, it was God's mission empowered by God's power to bring God's message Do you remember what Peter taught? Do you remember what he preached? Here's a summary. Chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. This Jesus, he's speaking about Jesus of Nazareth. He's being very specific. It's not Jesus from from Bethlehem. It's not Jesus from uh, downtown Jerusalem. It's not Jesus, Joe's cousin. It's this Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Remember, it's God's mission. This Jesus, you delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's 2.23. Verse 2.32 says, This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. The people there proclaiming God's greatness and His glory had seen Jesus. They were witnesses to it. They saw him with their own eyes. They, they were there. They, they, they experienced it. They, they saw it and could proclaim it. In verse 236 it says this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know. For certain. Don't doubt it. Don't question it. Don't, don't, don't feel dissuaded by it. This is a truth. That God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You see, Peter didn't stand up with winsome words and feel-good messages. He stood up with the very message of God. And he demonstrated to these people their need for a Savior. You killed your Messiah. You killed the one you've been waiting for. 
You definitely need a Savior now. You can't help but see your fallenness. You can't help but see the evil attitudes of your heart. You can't help but see your brokenness. You have no hope. It was God's message. The amazing thing is that as we saw that unveil, and as we saw that, that, that unfold, the response of the people that we saw last week, the response of the people that some of them were cut to the heart, they were sad and they were mourning and they were, they were burning inside, I think. They, they felt the weight of what they had done. What do we do? How do we respond? What in the world? I I can't imagine now. Is there ever any hope? Because Peter had told them that Jesus was alive. He could say, repent. You believe in him. And you'll be saved. You see, the hope and the message is, the hope that is in the message is this, that yes, God's message is that we are broken, fallen, flawed people. Guilty of many things. But our God, our Creator, can save us. And has a desire to save people. That's why He sent Jesus. And He says, repent from that Turn from, turn from all of your ways. Turn from all of the things that you would view as God. Turn from them. Change your mind about what hope they provide and trust in Jesus. That's the way it began. And the result was not Peter's work. It wasn't a result of, of it wasn't Peter's people. It wasn't a result of these 120 people doing this and, and they got to claim the results. The result of God's power moving along with God's mission, providing God's message, was God's people. See, Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his words were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's big. Now, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I would love to preach in front of a crowd that big and and see 3,000 people say, man, I believe. That would move me. I'd be excited. But you see, that's what I want because I think that there's some sort of power in me. But the truth is, is that this is God's mission. Moved by God's power, bringing God's message and resulting in God's people coming forth and responding to him in glory. And praise and honor and adoration. 3,000 people that day became believers. Because of all that God had done. God did it. And it's imperative. It's, it, it, it's the most important thing you can get before we move forward. God did it. And I heard somebody, I, I wasn't even planning on saying this. But I heard somebody saying yesterday, a quote from Tozer, A.W. Tozer. He says that anything that God has ever done, God can still do now. 
anything that God has ever done anywhere. God can do here. Anything, anything that God has done in you, God can do in any one. So do you see why it's so important as we live this life, as our vision builds out of this book of Acts, and specifically this this passage that we're about to read, it is so important. It doesn't rest on us or our own abilities first. God did this, and He can do it again, and again, and again, and again. God did it. And he's still doing it. And so here we go. Verses 42 through 47. Before we do, before we do, I, I, man, I, we just need to stop and, and pray. Father, I pray, I pray that that you'd weigh on us heavy right now. Not a pressure that condemns. Father, we know that's not what you're about in your people. But in the weight of your glory, the understanding and the breadth of your power power to change us, the power to change those around us, the power to change those we know. And I pray that you bring conviction as, as we sometimes try to, try to act as if we've got, we've got some part to play that's bigger than our own, that, that we've taken our eyes off the prize, that all we can do is witness. And even that only has effect in your power. And Father, I pray, I pray that we would no longer be timid or afraid or scared. But that you would rest on us with boldness and courage. That we might proclaim your word without fear. That as it works in us, it would work through us. Father, I I pray for us today. I pray that we wouldn't dissect these verses in a, in a sense trying to build some method or model that, that doesn't, that doesn't it, it's not built on the foundation of your work. That what we would recognize today is the result of your work. And then measure ourselves by it. I pray for lasting, eternal fruit. Because of what you do in us and what you'll do through us. And to all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 42 says, 
in response to coming to Christ, in, in response to the, those 3,000 people and the 120 that were there before them. So 3,120 people, give or take. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And next week we're going to come down, come back, and we're going to break this apart. We're going to, we're going to look at it and we're going to understand it. But hear it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And, and awe came upon every soul. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I, I just want to ask you, in these, in these first three verses, how does the typical American church measure against these three verses? Do we have a concern or care for one another in this way? Do, 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 do we have a devotion to the teaching of the apostles? Do we have an awe of God that we are moved by? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were so thankful. They were grateful, praising God, recognizing Him to be the source and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Maybe you don't think this way often. Maybe, maybe it's not your idea to think critically. Maybe that's just not your personality. And starting with our church, starting right here, do we see any of this resulting in us? Do, do, do we see this at work in us? On a broader spectrum, do we see the, 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 the Springfield Church, you know, in, in, all of its, in all of its good things that it does, and in, in all of the big churches that we have, and all of the small churches that we have, do we, do we see these things be, being a result? And, and, and I don't want to say that there's no good churches out there. I don't, I don't want to say that that's the case. But in my study and in my looking and, and, and being able to talk to different people and being challenged about how to grow a church and what to do for, for this and that, and, 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 and if, if you would just do this, then people would just show up. It's just what they do. If you wouldn't preach hard messages that people find difficult to, to hear, you'd get bigger. 
If, if, you, wouldn't, if you wouldn't sing songs that, are, that, that sometimes are heavy to think about and the, and the words are, are sometimes depressing to think about our fallenness in, in, in light of God's holiness, if you, would, if you would sing some light and fluffy songs, maybe, maybe people would come. In all of the seeker-sensitive mentality that water down your messages so you're not offensive. All of that. All of that does this. It says that I can build a church. It says that we together can build a church. That we can figure out the right methodology and the right principles and the right psychology to fool people into believing with us. And that's why it's so important that we remember that God did it. Because when these people began together, the rhythms of their life changed. The the convictions of their heart changed. The things that they saw that were important changed. Their, their, Their intentions for one another changed. Their life, the, the, the basis of who they were, changed. But it's not because they had the 12-step program that, teached, that, 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 that teased them into the idea of doing something or else God's not going to love you. You see, God's message, empowered by His power, because it's His mission, resulted in these people. Yeah, I have no doubt by conventional wisdom that we could have this room full three or four times a week. I have no doubt of it. Because I know how to put together a lesson that says, I can teach you how to handle your money. I know how to put together a lesson that says, I I can make you the best parent ever. I know how to put a lesson together that teaches you that all roads lead to heaven. I know how to put together a lesson that says you can have your best life now. But that's all crap. And I'm sick of it. God's power is big enough and bright enough and powerful enough to change us just like it changed them and can use us to change others just like he used those apostles to change those 3,000 people. God's power is big enough. It's bright enough. It's powerful enough to give us a desire for his truth. It's powerful enough to change us, to care so much about one another that it's not about how much money we can put in the bank, but how many needs we can meet in the body. His power is big enough that we should be moved by it. See, this week I was sitting at work and and this great thing is happening at work. I, I can't explain it. About three months ago, we started a Bible study there. That's all I know to do. I mean, I'm not... I'm, you know, I'm not that entrepreneurial. I'm not creative like a lot, of, a, lot of you, a lot of you guys are and girls. I'm just not that. That's not my mentality. But, but I know the Bible. And I believe in the Bible. And so I just know to start Bible study. So I went around and I started asking people, hey, you want to start a Bible study? 
So we started watching some videos about the reason for God and people asking questions. And, and it gave us opportunities to speak to a couple of people at work that are, one of them is just an, an, an he's an atheist. He just doesn't care and he's very antagonistic and very hateful towards people that are sold out believers. But he showed up Tuesday. He showed up and he started asking questions. And we were blown away. And he came to me later. You know, he's not a believer today. I'm not going to try and sell you that load of goods. I wish I could. But there's something happening. There's something going on. And see, that's what God's power does. But as we sat there and talked, as we sat in this discussion group, we were talking about prayer. And we were talking about what if we imagine, there's a, a book called Crazy Love. I would commend it to all of you. And it's got a video study that goes with it. But we were talking about what would, what would it be like if as we prayed, we imagined the beauty and splendor and majesty and power of God right before us every time we prayed. I want, I want you to know something. The truth is, He's there. The Word depicts Him as a beautiful and wonderful and sovereign and powerful and independent and, 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 and loving and gracious and merciful Creator and Savior. The Word shows all this about God. It teaches, it, uh, it teaches us all about Him. What if we imagined that as we stopped to pray, to have concentrated times of prayer that we imagined the throne room filled with smoke and the angels surrounding Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. The splendor of this place, the beauty and the radiance of our Savior. How different might we pray And I asked that question just boldly. I said, how do you pray? And these Christians, they looked dumbfounded. And I said, well, what do you know about God? And they looked at me dumbfounded. And it suddenly dawned on me. They don't know what the Bible says about the beauty and splendor and majesty of God. Man, I wanted to start crying. Because these are believers. They're people who trust in God, who love Jesus. But they have a very small picture and view of who God is. No wonder, no wonder the world around us doesn't look on us with favor because we don't know God. We don't worship God. We don't come together with this this knowledge and, and depth of understanding that we are gathering together before this beautiful 
an amazing God. You see, we come and we say, well, the music wasn't just right. It's loud. It hurt my ears. It's not my style. I like country. Man, I don't like guitars. I wish you guys would get a piano and an organ. Seth, you, you're, you're too animated. You need to stand still. That's <laughs> not going to happen. I'll just tell you right now. You need to quit being so direct. Man, it's time to be direct. Do you know God? Do you know Him? He's creator. All powerful. Amazing. Beautiful. Wonderful. He's loving. He's tender. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's righteous. He's just. He has great wrath. He sent his son to save you and me and his people. What wouldn't he do for us? Why do we doubt? Because we don't know God. Why are we timid and afraid? Because we don't know God. Because we're not standing in this place where we are affected by His power moving on His mission carrying with us His message. Look at this, look at this passage. I mean, that's exactly what these people continued to do. This, this thing we saw happening in Acts at the, in chapters 1 and chapter 2. As we see the results begin to be laid out, the mission didn't change these people, as you, as you read through the book of Acts, these people were ascending and going people. It didn't stay in Jerusalem. It didn't stop there. In fact, had it stopped there, those ripples, they wouldn't have hit our lives. You see, this would just be some Mideast tradition. It's never made a difference in anything had it stopped there. But they saw God's mission. And they went with God's power. And they brought God's message. And it resulted in people becoming God's people. You see... As long as I'm the pastor here. So you might as well get used to it. If you don't like it, it's not going to change. As long as I'm the pastor here, we are not going to build off of some model or methodology that we think will just grow a church. We will look at scripture and we will seek to understand what God's doing in the world. You know what God's doing in the world is very clear. It's very plain in Scripture. You want, to know what you, you want to know what God's will is. God created. Mankind fell. God said, you know what? I'm going to redeem. 
And so he set in process and has been working throughout history. That person's mine. That person's mine. I'm taking you. You are mine. Respond to me. Respond to me. I'm going to save you. Respond to me. And people continuing to walk away and continuing to ignore the truth and continuing to deny who God is. But then he says, you know what? I've given him my law. I've given him my prophets. And now it's time to send my son. God himself stepped into history. Put on flesh. Dwelt among us. Lived here. Died here. And rose again here. This is God's will being worked out. This is his mission being worked out right in front of us. And he says, for those that believe in him, for those that trust in Jesus, the one who it's been bestowed on him, the name above every name, the the, the one that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the one. He's the one. He's the focal point of the mission. And God said, when you believe in him, when you trust in him, you're forgiven. I will take your sin and I will give you his righteousness. It's the great exchange. That's God's mission. And that mission changes people. It changes the rhythms of life. It changes convictions about where we stand and who we love. It changes the way that we feel about one another. You see, God did this work and it resulted in a changed people. People didn't change and then God said, I love you and feel good about you, so I'm going to save you. People changed because God loved them and changed them and their motives and hearts were changed. That's God's mission. Pick it up and read about it. It's clear. He's not hiding it. He wants people to know. He is a saving God. And He has a purpose in this. And you know what's going to make it happen? I I gave up about a year and a half ago of trying to put the trappings of church together. And there's a part of me that still struggled with that and a part of me that, that still wanted those trappings and making sure that we looked and acted and felt like the, the, the thing that people would call church. But I realized that all of those trappings, well, you know, there's some benefit in them. Don't hear me saying that we, we, we need stuff to, 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 to do and, and ways to hang on to things. But, but, but those trappings, and, and they, had, they had removed our eyes and our focus from the most important thing we needed to complete God's mission. That was His power. Look at it again. As these people began to begin, the, their life was changed and, and they saw His mission. Look at what happens to them. They are in awe. They are in awe of God. When's the last time we stopped and even considered closely all that He has done? Think about it now. Picture yourself before Him now. 
think the problem that we face all too often is that we are so used to looking at man's power and man's wisdom and man's decisions and man's will that we are blind and that we don't rest in his power and that we don't live in his power and we're not moved by his power because we figured out how to do it on our own. These people had such a reverent respect from God because they understood that even the food they were eating, the basic necessities of life came from the very hand of God. You don't take a breath. You don't eat a meal. You don't, you, you, you don't buy a thing at Walmart. You don't, you don't get jack in this world if God doesn't let you have it or that God doesn't give it to you himself. You live by the very power of God. Take a breath. He let us do that. Look at your life and who you would be without Christ. Look at who you are because of Christ. That is the power of God at work in you. You see, as these people came together, they saw God's power. They were moved and they, they, they were in awe of it. There was a sense of fear. In fact, that word, it, it's phobos and it really means fear. They had a healthy fear of this creator who had every right at any moment to cast them into hell. At any moment, he had every right to send them packing. And they were afraid of that. They understood the consequences as if it was as if it was this father figure that he says, you know what? Here's the line. You're not going to cross it. And they understand that, hey, I'm on this side of the line, and things are great. But over there, there is much to be afraid of. You see, we read this word today as awe, and there's a reason for that. I'll explain that in just a second. But we we read this word as awe. And as we have lost this knowledge and understanding that there should be a healthy fear of this great God... It has changed how we live. See, it's led to things like, Jesus is my boyfriend. I've heard that twice in about three weeks. It's sickening. Jesus is your Savior. He's God in flesh. He's not your romantic hookup. He's not somebody that you can have this spiritual fling with. Jesus demands... Your reverence. He's worthy of your reverence. Jesus demands your understanding that without him there is horrible conflict. But that in him there is great freedom. You see, we look at fear as some negative thing. But this fear and understanding of the consequences of life apart from God, they give us boundaries. 
They help us to live in this freedom that we know to be true. Because you can say you believe in Jesus Christ all you want. But if your life reveals that you worship other gods and you couldn't care less about Jesus, you should be afraid. Because the hard truth is is that condemnation awaits you. It's only in Jesus. And here's the great news, is that as believers in Christ, as people who are in Christ, it doesn't stop with this dreadful fear. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, Love drives out fear. Perfect love drives away fear. Because as we stand before this holy righteous, pure, and perfect, holy God in our sinfulness, in our dirtiness, and in our filth. We are covered up in his love. So we don't have to be afraid in the sense that we see him coming and we tremble and hide. We stand and rest in this love, this great love that he's proven for us. Romans chapter 8 spells that out clearly. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. And it goes on to teach that that Paul is is beautifully laying out this idea that, that God's mission is to save people. And when they've been saved by God's power, there's nothing that can take them out of it. And that God's power keeps them and God's love envelops them so that there's no reason to be afraid. But he comes to this closing section of Romans chapter 8 and he says, there's nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Heights, powers, principalities. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And so as believers, as people in Christ, we stand with reverence and respect and awe of what God has done. You can stand before God because God loved you. You can boldly approach God's throne with prayers and requests because God loved you. You and I can call him Abba, Father, because God loved us. We have the hope that even as we fall and fail along the way, that nothing will separate us from that love. God's message, moving God's mission by God's power. You see, these people, they came to a place where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. It shows that in Romans, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it says that as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they they began to commit also to the fellowship, to, to commit to the breaking of bread, to commit to prayer. Their lives were changed. You see, the apostles were speaking the message of God. These people would gather together in the temple every day. They would get together in the temple and they would hear teaching. 
And it wasn't like Peter stood up every day and he gave him the same message over and over and over and over. It wasn't like that. But Peter would stand and he would teach and the apostles would teach and they would expound on God's truth. And God's truth, his gospel truth, brought gospel conflict and got gospel truth bringing gospel conflict resulted in gospel change. And so again, as I'm the pastor here, as long as I'm involved in this church and leadership in any way, you have to kick me out if you want it to be different. I'm not going to get up here and I'm not going to make you feel good like Oprah wants me to make you feel good. I'm not going to get up here and give you a Joel Olstein message. I'm going to proclaim to you the word of God. Because the word of God has power to bring change in your life. And it's the only thing that has power to bring change in your life. And when you put those three together, gospel truth, or I'm sorry, God's mission, God's power, God's mission, or God's message, God's mission plus God's power plus God's Mission equals, it results in God's people. Pretty simple. That's the way it began. That's the way the book of Acts unfolded. That's the way it started. We see it even in these five verses as the church came to life. And these 3,120 people gathered together They understood God's mission. They trusted in God's power. And they shared God's message. And what happened? God added to their number every day. You want a strategy for church growth? How about real church growth? We're going to strive to understand God's mission. I'm going to challenge you to stand in awe of God's power. And we carry God's message. That will equal God's people growing and being added to every day. Well, Seth, is the smallest number of people we've had in here here sometime. This ain't Pentecost. This ain't Pentecost. We live in a world saturated with religion. We have a hard work ahead of us. But we have this hope on our side. We got God's power. And we got God's message. That equals seeing God's people be saved. You don't have to be scared. It doesn't rest on you. It doesn't matter if you have all the right answers or you can answer all the questions. It doesn't matter if you know exactly what to say. What matters is God's at work. And this work that we've been given to do is not track his comings and goings. And here on April 21st, that's the day he's coming back. We don't have to worry about it anymore. No, we bring his message. And I have no doubt that we will see him grow his people.
Today, as we close, I've went a little longer than I meant to. I apologize for that. Why don't you guys, why don't you guys in the band come on forward? We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And we'll talk about this next week more, but this was the breaking of bread that they committed to because they recognized that they were where they were and they were seeing the things happen because Jesus Christ had laid down his life for his people. And as he sat with them one night, he says to them, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he gave them this bread. And he says, this juice, or this wine is actually what he had. We're drinking juice here. He says, this is my blood poured out for the new covenant. He says, this, as often as you do it, do in remembrance of me. And so today, as we gather and and we worship and we honor God for all that he's done, we're going to stop and we're going to take time to remember the price that was paid. This, I'm just going to help you here just in case you're missing it. This, this very act that Jesus did should give you a heavy burden for his love and power because he did it so that you could live in relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for the power that saved us. We thank you for the power that sends us. We thank you that you are still at work. Fill us now that we might move in that power. We all have circles of influence. We are all scared. We're broken. We're fallen. We confess that. Change us now. Immerse us in your power and presence so that we might be going boldly forward being sent on your mission. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.